This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. It's Monday. It's going to be a, uh, it feels like a good week, right? I mean, you got over the, the first four days of the tournament. We'll talk about that in a little bit, of course. Uh, Sa- I mean, Sandy, in the break, you just pointed out to me, but we'll get into the tournament in a bit. <laughs> I want to do, I do want to hit NFL free agency, but the stat you gave me is bonkers. So out of the Sweet 16, 11 conferences are represented. Right? Wow. And only <laughs> two of the 11 have more than two teams. The Big East has three left. The SEC has three. Big 12, two. And all with one apiece, ACC, Mountain West, Ivy League, Pac-12, Big Ten, American Athletic Conference, that's Houston, of course, mm-hmm. West Coast Conference, that's Gonzaga, Conference USA, which is Florida Atlantic. And I think Florida Atlantic has a great chance to beat Tennessee in the East. At Madison Square Garden in New York, Kansas State, Michigan State will be the other one back there. Uh, in the South, that's Alabama, San Diego State, Creighton, Princeton. <laughs> be two very good games. Houston, Miami in the Midwest, Xavier, Texas, Arkansas, UConn, Gonzaga, UCLA in the West. And I still like Gonzaga to win it, but clearly the most impressive team so far has been UConn. Uh, won its first game. UConn did by 24 over Iona and knocked off St. Mary's by 15. Didn't break a sweat in either one. No, no. Except for the first half against Iona. That was close. So the West Coast Conference doesn't get two in. They missed that. St. Mary's got run by, uh, by yes. UConn. Yes, it but but uh, obviously, we'll talk about this too, but that's amazing. I mean, 11 of this, 11 different conferences in the 16 teams. That uh, I, I, I can't imagine that has been... That can't have it's happened too, too bad. many times. I, I think that it, can't have happened to, too many to times. To my way of thinking, um, that's I mean, you got amazing. two number one seeds, Alabama and Houston. But to me, that the impressive teams look to me like UConn and Gonzaga, and only one can conceivably make it to the Final Four because they're both in the same West region. We take a look at that in a minute, but let's look at. at NFL free agency because there are a couple things to look at and we'll find out where some of these moves have not happened. I mean, let's uh, Lamar Jackson is not signed. Uh, the The Aaron Rodgers trade is people act like it's it's done. It's not. It's not done. I mean, some what of these moves soap opera have though. not been everything surrounding oh, Aaron Rodgers. Is, is, is soap opera. Aaron Rodgers going after Adam Schefter. Everything the last few days. I tell you what, you know, lose my number. The Denver Broncos really wanted Aaron Rodgers. They wanted Aaron Rodgers so badly enough that they thought hired Nathaniel Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett, don't let anyone tell you otherwise, was hired as a lure for Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. That's why they picked him. That's why they picked him. And you know why the Jets hired him as their OC? Same reason. But the Packers have all the leverage. And the Packers can say, fine, you said a few weeks ago, before you went into your dungeon of darkness that you were 90% sure you were retiring. Mm-hmm. Fine. Retire. That's the thing. See, I, I if think we don't get what we want and hang it up, then you can retire and we're going with Jordan love anyway. One way or the other. It doesn't We matter. either get a bunch of picks from the jets or, right. or we get, but yeah, if, if I think the Packers, I really think that's where the Packers had is that too. Cause they've been dragged through the mud for the last two years about this. 
And I think even at, at their stage, they're like, fine. We would lit- literally rather have you retire out of spite than take a deal we don't like. Because even though we get something for nothing, we're so done with appeasing you that no. <laughs> Unless it's exactly the deal we want, then hang it up. And we'll, we'll, we'll literally take nothing and we'll be fine with that. I think the, that's where the Packers are. At least a year ago. Here's the difference. We're talking about one of the best I, quarterbacks I that have more, ever played. Actually more similar now, because I think Green Bay's had enough of the Aaron Rodgers soap opera. But Seattle wanted to get rid of Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers, I'm saying a year ago. Right. A year ago at this time. They did not want to part with Aaron Rodgers. No, they did not. They kept trying and to it didn't matter that way. Nathaniel Hackett was coaching uh, the Broncos. And I think the Broncos got that sense and knew that Wilson wanted out of Seattle and that Seattle wanted him out. They didn't pay enough attention to the idea that Seattle wanted Wilson out just as much as Wilson wanted out of Seattle. That was their big mistake. But I think they did come around. Maybe it was at at the end, maybe even after they hired Hackett to the idea that Wilson was more gettable because Seattle wanted to get rid of him a hell of a lot more than Green Bay wanted to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. I think now, though, the situations are similar, and people are looking at the Jets and saying, you mean you're going to give up a first and second, conceivably, for a guy who's going to turn 40 next year? If if you're, I mean, if you're the Packers, let's be honest, are you taking... And you think he's going to play in 2024? Are you taking any Are you sure of that? Are you taking any less than the Seahawks got for Wilson if I'm the Packers? I, I, maybe maybe I'm not the, taking the Packer, uh, Maybe I'm listen, not taking the players. Maybe I guess I don't need the equivalent of Drew Locke the, and Noah Fant and Shelby Harris. That. But I want the, the picks. The Packers I better want have the picks. The, picks. the Packers want the picks. Now, I tell the Jets I get the picks and no deal. Peter King's column, hang it up. Peter King's column today on um, NBC Sports involved a proposal. That included a second round pick this year, not a first, because the Jets have the 13th overall pick. I I think they want to keep that pick. I bet they do. And (laughs) the conditional pick would be for 2025, not 2024. And it would be based on Rodgers playing not this year, but next year, at least 100 snaps. And if he did, play 100 or more snaps, it'd be a first-rounder. If it was less than that, which it would be if he retired, let's say, the Jets would get a third-rounder. So it would be either a first and a second or a second and a third. And King said, that's that's all Green Bay's uh, going to want. They they want Rodgers out of there. And you're right, as by much the way. As they Rogers wanted Favre turns 40 because this year. they asked 15 years later Rodgers the same question that they asked Favre in 2008. Are you all in? That means all in on off-season activities. In 2008, Favre said, absolutely not. I'm not all in. Okay, you you retire or you go play for somebody else. And I think that's what they've done with Rodgers, too. They've asked him the same question. Are you all in? Rodgers says no. And they said, fine. You can leave. But we're going to want uh, at least those picks, maybe more picks, from a team that really doesn't want to give up a ton of draft picks 
for a quarterback as good as he is who hasn't played in a Super Bowl in 12 years. Is here's here's the other question about it. And and I'm not trying to be coy or tender. I, I think Aaron Rodgers is an extraordinary player. Yeah, I mean he's a absolute lock Hall of Famer. I don't of think course. there's any doubt about it. Of course but, he is. But here's the deal. But he's a complicated fella. He's complicated. You don't know what you're going to get based on mood. And and let's be honest about this. Sandy and passer rating last year, Aaron Rodgers was 17th in the league. Now, he played all 17 games. And he was 17th in the league in passer rating. Now, passer rating, as we know, is kind of meh. But he had a 91.1 last year. 2021, he was 111.9 and 121.5 the last two years. QBR... He went from, in 2020, a 79.8, which Extraordinary. is yeah, Superman. 74.1 in 2021. Damn good. 39.3. Awful. Sandy, he was 26. 50 is average. He was 26 in QBR. That's a 1 to 100 metric. Scale. And, and he's he going to be 40. 50. Do you know who he, he was? He was in the 30. That's where Russell Wilson was. Russell Wilson year. was 27th. Aaron Rodgers was 26th and Russell Wilson was 27th in QBR. I mean, now, that's I mean, where they listen, were. Listen, Rodgers is a hell of a lot better than Russell Wilson, but that tells you. But how invested is he? How if much does he really not care? Fully vested, then. I mean, to uh, several MVPs, right? Since he mm-hmm. went to the Super Bowl, right? right. Several, several, mm-hmm. more than two. But two very recently. They didn't go to the Super Bowl either year. They went 13, 13, 13 in wins. 39 wins in three years. Didn't go to any Super Bowls. And that's not all on Rodgers, but. No, no, I'm not saying it, it is. But once he lost, uh, you know, it's funny with it, with these receivers. Yes, I understand receivers. I've said it myself for years. You have said it as recently as last yeah. week. Receivers, dependent position. Spinning rims. Players, right? That's right. what, they, what they are. In spite of their diva acts here and there, they're dependent on the quarterback. But the quarterback is also tied into the receivers in such a way as to, I think, reasonably assert that part of the problem with Russell Wilson last year was that he didn't have DK Metcalf and he didn't have Tyler Lockett. And... He missed them more than they missed him. Oh, definitely. Right? Definitely. Yeah, they, they, they made Geno Smith a whole bunch of money, didn't they? I think Adams missed Rodgers less with the Raiders last year than Rodgers missed Adams with Green Bay. I agree completely. Just saying. It, it, will it be, can work the other way. Sometimes. Yeah, it can. And it'll be interesting to see how that breaks down because, uh, you know, maybe the Jets get him. What does he really want to do? I don't know. Nobody knows. And basically the, the reports that he's sort of demanding, they also have to sign Odell Beckham Jr. if they want to get him. I mean, there's a and, lot and of he, He's done. Listen, with all the injuries on. he's had and... The hands the, are there. The, the number is there. of games he's played the last two or three years. Sorry, the route running's there. That, that's that's not a but that's not a sale. A separation. Every is time not there. I look up, I hear a team saying we're not interested anymore in Odell Beckham. Cowboys are the latest. Right, right, right. A, a team that actually seems like it might have been a fit, and instead is trading for Brandon Cooks. 
from the Houston exactly, Texans. Exactly, which is a better move for them. But, I mean, you know, you pick Brandon Cooks over Odell Beckham Jr. You could have had either one. What does that say? They believe that's that's the better receiver. For the Denver Broncos, when you look at the remainder of free agency, and that there's there's still some talent out there. The problem for the situation here, and they, they did a, a nice job. Matt Bone over at ESPN kind of looked at some of the best players available that are still out there. And some of them make a lot of sense. They just don't make sense for the Broncos. Like, Dalton Schultz is still out there. It's going to be a good signing for someone. Doesn't make sense to sign for the Broncos. You don't need that kind of player just yet. At least that's not where the money needs to go. Uh, everyone loves Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner needs to go on a team that's this close to winning a Super Bowl because exactly. he's got to be situational exactly. at this stage. You talked about Odell Beckham. A guy like Yannick Ngakwe is only 28. So you right. think, wow. But then you realize he's kind of just become a situational pass rusher. Right. So maybe that's not your guy. So when you kind of look out there, but the one that I thought was interesting, number seventh on that list, Dalton Reisner. Not for me. Not for me. A little surprised to see him completely unsigned? No. I'm not either. It's not that good. <laughs> he had a, he had a nice rookie year. Uh, much better second half than he did first half, which made you think that he would continue to progress in year two. He did not. Year three, he did not. In fact, he's regressed. And he's an ordinary offensive lineman who's not going to be signed for anything like the money I'm sure he thinks he can get. And, of course, he wanted to stay a lot more than the Broncos wanted to keep. Uh, one question. Now, it was a ways. It was a while ago when he was still back in college. For a season, he logged more than 900 starting snaps for the Kansas State Wildcats as their starting center. Would you call Dalton Reisner back? Tell him you wanted to see him there and give him a look. If you if if he's not getting nibbles, and you know he wants to return, he's played center though. It was twenty fifteen season, and I think there could be. Now he was in a, the positions. Now, he was a he was an all a freshman all American when he did. Okay, but it was twenty fifteen. That's a long time ago. That's uh, that's eight years back. And obviously, he's never and taken a snap at no, the NFL level at center. No. And. When I look at the draft and the picks they have, the five picks they have come between, if I'm not mistaken, 67 and 195. I think one of those picks, and they'll probably add more. They'll trade down once or twice, and they'll they'll have more than five picks by the time the 2023 NFL draft is over. But one of those picks will be a center. And I think they've looked enough at that scenario to come to the conclusion that they could draft a center who's better suited to play the position, even come in next year and start, as opposed to Dalton Reisner replacing Lloyd Of course, who'd you, who'd you be pay, paying free agent money to? Exactly. At some point anyway. And, exactly. of course, when you're talking about maybe effective cap space remaining, the Broncos have spent if, most if of it. If they liked him at all, would have found they would have re-signed him. him. I think so as well. The Broncos have roughly, and there's the other problem, $7 million. I mean, it's a, sort of a nebulous number when you're talking about the cap, but probably between 7 and $9 million available. And that would be just about that where you'd add somebody. So it feels to me, um, unless something really falls in their lap, the Broncos, when it comes to free agency, are done shopping. This is it. Peter King, in his column today, said the one signing that Denver made that stuck out to him 
was Jarrett Stedman. Interesting. I know we have to break here. Maybe we'll uh, interesting. Well, let, yeah, let, let's uh, let's let, shuffle let a little that, bit. Um, let's let that marinate. Yeah, yeah, and uh, let's let's talk about that because you and I have a different idea of who the best signing was. We both agree on who it was. But it wasn't the Jared, best of the Broncos. It signings. wasn't Jared. I don't Stidham, agree that it was Jared Stidham. But, but I am. I'll uh, let King make his case. I am intrigued. We'll do that next on Miley Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Well, we will get back to the uh, March Madness tournament. Can't not talk about it, obviously, but you know, we're calling an audible. Sandy talked about a article from Peter King saying that backup quarterback Jared Stidham not Ben Powers, as you and I believe is the best. Not Mike McGlinchey, addition. not, not Zach Mike Allen. McGlinchey. By the way, how about Orlando Brown going for less money than Mike McGlinchey? Well, uh, King Yo. wrote about that, and I agree with him 100% that uh, among the best three or four signings was definitely Cincinnati's move to sign Orlando Brown. There's not a the team that needed it more either. For... Uh, what, four years, $64 million. Yeah. He is the 10th highest paid left tackle in the NFL. Left tackle, not tackle. 10th highest paid left tackle in the even, NFL. How does that even he happen? He should be in the top five, five top three, top two, top two maybe number one. I, I mean, Juwan James, when he signed with Denver, became the highest paid right tackle yeah. in the National Football yeah, League. But Juwan Taylor got more. Mike McGlinchey got more than but Orlando Brown. He's I don't know. 10th. Among left tackles. Super confused. That's a steal. And uh, boy, why? I mean, I know we're talking Chiefs. I get that. Everyone looks at Chiefs and Bills. Now, is anyone going to get past it? Well, the Bengals got past them last year, both of them. If that line can be improved and Orlando Brown alone really makes a difference and they can somehow keep Joe Burrow on his two feet, I would put the Bengals I love right, right with the Chiefs, I love neck Cincinnati. and neck with the Chiefs, and I'd say they're better than the Bills. And I think the moves they've made thus far, adding Orlando Brown, there is not a better marriage of player and team and need in all of free agency. That's the best signing of the whole free agency I, I, period. I, I can see that opinion. Now, there are a couple others uh, that I really like, one in particular, um, with the Hargrave, the defensive tackle from Philadelphia, signing with the 49ers. The only inside lineman on the defensive side of the ball the last two years who was graded out higher by pro football focus was Aaron Donald. Number two is uh, Javon Hargrave. Javon Hargrave of the Philadelphia Eagles, and the 49ers have him now to add to uh, what is, I think, the best front seven in the NFL. Yeah, that front seven is nasty, and obviously it's hard to get anything done against them, but... Talked about Jared Stidham being signed by the Broncos. Yes. He's actually one of the few guys last year that did. He did. And that is the uh, major thrust of Peter King's argument today uh, when he evaluated all 32 teams in the first week of free agency. Let me give the And he rated the Broncos number four, which uh, was, I thought, January 1st. Pretty generous. January 1st, when the Raiders lost to the 49ers. 
in overtime, 37 to 34. The number there of interest is 34 on that 49er defense. He threw for 365 yards, 23 for 34, 67.7 completion percentage, 10.7 yards per. He did throw two picks, but three touchdowns. Yes. Quarterback, a passer rating, pardon me, of 108.1 and a QBR of 77.9. He also ran for 30 more yards, uh, 34 more yards in that game. He was tremendous. Now, the other two performances he had, we did play, obviously, the week after that against the Chiefs and was uh, I was pedestrian, not awful, but pedestrian, 22 for 36 for 219, one touchdown, one pick. Yeah. Uh, and prior to that, okay. in the moment where he basically came in, he filled in at the end, it was all the way back in October, kind of just played right. the part of the game, you kind of but throw that out. He was the guy McDaniels turned to when he benched Eric Carr, and he wanted to bring him back. Uh, and 26 it's years old, hard for six, me three, to believe that the Raiders couldn't have matched what the Broncos gave Jarrett Stidham and McDaniels wants him back uh, or wanted him back because Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt all the time. And he's probably, with the Raiders, even if he's healthy, a transition figure at the quarterback position. Now, whether Stidham would have a chance at the starting job in 2024, who knows? But the Broncos get him, and this is King's argument, for two years at $10 million, $5 million guaranteed. So the Broncos will take a look at him this year. And King suggests, as I just pointed out, team within the division didn't want to lose him. And the Broncos got him. That's one. Number two, I think he's and King obviously feels more strongly about this than I do, the perfect backup to Russell Wilson. Not immediately threatening, but if Wilson stinks out the joint the way he did last year, you have someone who started games in the NFL from all indications and reports, has a very good head on his shoulder, can process information, makes pretty sound game decisions for the most part, uh, given his inexperience, I'd be reluctant, but could, if Wilson isn't very good, conceivably step in, at least for this next year, as a competent backup, and you're only paying him guaranteed money for one year. It it, it also, to me... Five million? I think it's an, one int- year? it's an intriguing move for this reason, and I don't think that you'd necessarily... It certainly isn't the way it would be worded by Sean Payton or by anybody, but this is this now becomes Sean Payton's handpicked guy. This is it's a this is a Sean Payton guy. Sure, this is a Sean Payton guy that he good brought head, in. good arm. There is an implied threat to Russell Wilson when it comes to fitting into a Sean Payton offense. If you can't yeah. or don't want to do it, I have a guy that does. And will. And, and, and they is, didn't is believe Jared that. Russell Wilson, no. But the pressure for Peyton, it allows Peyton to put more pressure on Wilson to, we yeah. need to get on board and do it this way. Right. But not immediately, though. I I, I don't think this is a move where Wilson is saying, oh, boy, he, he, he no. could beat me out in but training at, camp. But as this goes but, along. But, yes, you're right. The other thing is, you bring in someone like this because you can conceive even if you don't expect this to happen 
for sure you can conceive of this guy being your starting quarterback. They did not have that feeling. It wouldn't be a long-term answer, but yeah. Or since the signing of Sean Payton to be their head coach. They didn't believe in Brett Rippon as a starter before, and Sean Payton doesn't believe now that Brett Rippon is a starting quarterback in the NFL. They think there's a possibility that Stidham could be, and you're threading the needle because you're not giving Wilson the impression, at least not immediately, that you're trying to replace him, and you don't believe in him. Right. But, but as this goes along, if it is, it is pressure to put on Wilson to get on board. And, uh, yeah, okay, you wanted to do let Russ cook, and it, you got out of He's got to play better, though. It isn't just about getting on board. Right. He's got to play he better. To, yes, he also has to play better. But I, but I think the pressure that it implies right now is that it puts pressure on him from now until this fall that, look, you're the you're the quarterback. You make the big money. We get all that. But here's the deal: this is Sean Payton's team now, and we're going to run it his way. And that There's includes no doubt. you. There's no there is doubt the coach, about that. and you are playing for the coach. And if you can't get on from now until they get into training camp, in the back of Russell Wilson's head, there is the clear implication that if I don't do it the way the coach wants, this this is this is flipped. This isn't Nathaniel Hackett where Russell Wilson gets to do what he wants, and Hackett's not going to put his foot down. This is the reverse. Nick Cosmonder. You play for the coach now, and if that's a problem, well, I got a guy. Nick Cosmonder of The Athletic did a roster analysis on the Broncos. In the piece, fairly lengthy piece, right? Position by position. Will they do anything more in free agency? What about the draft? Position by position. The name George Payton, lengthy piece, never appeared in the piece. Something that people posting below the piece at The Athletic took note of, first and foremost. The one person allegedly in a position of some authority who was never mentioned when it came to the idea of roster construction was the nominal general manager of the football team. I thought on the day he was introduced, Greg Penner made it very clear. I don't think it's a surprise. Greg Penner made it very clear. Sean Payton runs the football organization. I, I don't think there was any wiggle room. I don't think there was, was any blurriness on any of those lines. I thought Penner was crystal clear about it. And that's just where it stands. But that also means... That in many ways, and it's not a surprise. I think everyone's kind of come around to that, and, and the dead cap money would be a, a unpleasant, and I understand all that. If Russell Wilson does not play up to Russell Wilson standards or very, very close to it this year, the Denver Broncos will find a way to move on after this season. But what are Russell Wilson standards? See, this is where it, where it gets tricky. Pro Bowl? And, uh, I, Pro Bowl. I, He's made nine Pro he'll Bowls. He'll never get to that level. Again, I, I mean that—that's fantasy uh, stuff. Trevor Simeon made. He has to be a competent NFL quarterback. He doesn't have to be All Pro or even Pro Bowl. He—he he wasn't a competent NFL quarterback last year. And I—I'm sorry, but I just think people have to get over this idea that Russell Wilson will all of a sudden turn the clock back 
five years, even two years, he won't. He won't. He might be a little better than the disaster he was last year. But there's the possibility that he won't be, and I'm here to tell you he won't be a lot better. He won't be a lot better. You're talking about the, the last time he really played at a high level was 2021 maybe the even i'll grant him this the first half of 2021 but the last year and a half he's been hurt he's missed six games he's been uh, overweight he has lost arm strength apparently he can't move anything like he used to move not even close I think if he is a competent NFL starting quarterback, you know, middle of the pack among starting NFL quarterbacks, that's about as much as you can hope for. He will never again be a top five or a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. That isn't in the cards. People look at Brady. They look at Breeze. They look at Peyton. uh, they, They look at Aaron Rodgers, about whom we were talking a few minutes ago, and they think, well, quarterbacks are kind of sort of like those guys, and Russell Wilson was pretty good and made a lot of Pro Bowls. Russell Wilson was never close to being an MVP. Those other guys were. He he isn't in that class. He never was. This business about his being, and I bought into it. You know, I bought in the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, he's in two Super Bowls, won one, had all those Pro Bowls, you know, put up pretty fancy numbers, was durable as hell. Uh, in, in 10 years in Seattle, basically never missed a game until the very end when he missed three because he broke his finger, right? Kind of like Arturi Lekkinen broke his finger recently for the Avalanche. Right. All right. That's that's a marvelous record of durability. But to me, after watching him last year, he's no Hall of Famer. A lot of guys have quarterback Super Bowl champions one time. A lot of guys have. And you say, well, Aaron Rodgers only has one. Yeah, but he has a slew of MVP awards. Russell Wilson wasn't even close to ever winning an MVP. Not even close. When the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, the defense was the MVP. Yeah, well, I don't know about all 11 of them, but I, I think there were at least 10 players on the Seahawks who were more the valuable ride, yeah. than Russell Wilson was. Were, I'm not saying that means he was along for the ride. Lynch was more valuable it than Russell Wilson were, on offense. He wasn't the most valuable player on offense. He wasn't anywhere close to at least half a dozen guys on defense who were more valuable. At least. Probably more. It is going to be a fascinating offseason. And, and, and check out Peter King's column because that is a an angle on this that has not been completely uh, looked at yet. And I think there's something potentially to it. Pretty fascinating as the draft comes up. Uh, next for the Denver Broncos without any very significant bargain shopping. But we will turn our attention to March Madness because was it ever? What's next? Could we actually have a Final Four without any number one seeds? We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. Look around your world, pretty baby. Is it everything you hoped it'd be? 
Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Thanks for joining us. MileHighSports.com. Let's check us out there or on the free Mile High Sports app. You can stream everything live. You can go find everything on demand. You can watch the program. Andy Bailey's. Danny Bailey's in the booth, and Andrew Demmer is over there handling all the video for it, so there's all of that as well. The tournament, <laughs> we were warned by everybody who was at a seasoned college basketball observer that this is going to be potentially upset city, and that is exactly what happened. I mean, the, the number of top seeds that have fallen is just remarkable. So now you find yourself in a sweet 16 that, as you pointed out, Sandy, has 11 Different conferences yeah. <laughs> represented among its 16 teams. And I don't know if any of us have any idea what's going to happen next, to be totally honest. Almost anything could happen. Now, after the first weekend, could you imagine two ones being gone? I said at least one would be gone. Turned out to be two, Purdue and Kansas. Two number twos gone. Arizona Marquette. A number three seed gone. Baylor. Number four seeds UVA and Indiana, both gone. Virginia and Indiana. And other than the Midwest, you don't have any of the other three regions close to putting the one, two, three, and four seeds in. No. The Midwest is one, two, three, five. Uh, I guess the West is a little closer, two, three, four, eight. Still an eight. But in the East, three, four, seven, nine. And get this in the South, one, five, six, and 15. Wow. So the one, two, three, four business didn't work at all this year. You have seven teams who are seated first, second, third, or fourth out on the first weekend. You look at the, the landscape now, and you, you obviously just talked about that Southern side of the bracket. And to my mind, that's why I kind of look at it going forward and think that uh, whether they're sort of the heels in this tournament or not, Alabama has a greased runway to the to the Final Four at this uh, stage. Yeah. Now, They'll have trouble with Creighton. Everyone, everyone I you know, assume that Creighton every will team. be Princeton, and certainly that could go the other way. But Creighton's a seasoned team, and I know the Creighton team because the same team pretty much without its best player played Kansas in the round of 32 last year and gave Kansas a good game, the eventual national champions. Now they have basically the same team back, plus that best player is healthy, and they knocked off Baylor 85-76, and I didn't think Baylor played badly in the game at all. Baylor was, was just one of my good. final four teams. I actually had Baylor beating Bama. Now, of course, I also had Kansas beating Duke in the final, so what do I know? Well, Obviously I think Creighton can beat Alabama. So I, I agree, Alabama's going to smoke San Diego State. San Diego State hasn't had a chance to play anybody. No, no I, I mean, Charleston San Diego State, what a Charleston draw for a five seed. They get College yeah. of Charleston out of the Colonial Athletic the Conference, and then they get Furman. Not, nothing against Furman. Furman deserved to beat Virginia, but let's face it, Virginia was ahead for 36 and a half minutes in a 40-minute game. So what, what a draw for a five seed to get. Uh, they'll get their comeuppance uh, against Alabama. But I think Creighton beats Princeton. And Alabama-Creighton is going to be a tighter game than people think. Uh, Florida A&M, uh, I'm sorry, Florida Atlantic can beat Tennessee at Madison Square Garden. 
Kansas State, Michigan State is fascinating because I love both teams and I, I really like both coaches. Tom Izzo, you have to love him in the tournament. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, they battle took, tested for sure. They took a pretty good team, Marquette, and a very good mid-major coach who's a great fit at Marquette as he was at Virginia Commonwealth and Shaka Smart. And Izzo and Smart are very close friends. And Izzo just coached circles around him yesterday. Just coached circles around him. And Kansas State beat Kentucky. And you know what? This is how far Kentucky has fallen as a basketball program. Kentucky played well yesterday, and the result was not surprising that they lost. That's how far Kentucky basketball has fallen and how far John Calipari has fallen, frankly, as a head coach who's coaching out of the 20th century when he should be coaching in the 21st. That's a, that Kentucky situation is interesting because of course it wasn't all that long ago that, you know, that they actually put five, all five starters in the first round of the NBA draft. And uh, uh, Jamal Murray, one of those, by the way. So when you're talking about, the, the drop-off with Kentucky. How many championships have they won? Yeah, that's the thing. It's just, it's just kind of it's kind of evaporated. The the one that I'm most intrigued about seeing this next round is that Gonzaga-UCLA game. Uh, you, you know, Gonzaga, I think, is very good. I believe, I believe you that, put them to win the I whole thing. That, I think, will be the game of, of the Sweet Of 16. that round. I, I, I really do. That, UCLA has... That's um, a two against a three the way it yeah. should be. Right, <laughs> and you won't have Clark obviously for UCLA, and that and that is a problem. But then again, they've done a really nice job of sort of covering for his absence. Uh, that's a well-coached team that has a tremendous backcourt. Uh, you're talking about Jacquez and, and and Campbell just being out. Two guys, either, yeah. Either I, one I, of them. I, I don't know that, that Jacquez is quite a guard, but I get by far their two best players. Yes. Right? And, and neither one of those guys could take over a game at any point in time. And that's always it's, interesting. It's possible, but I don't think they score enough to beat Gonzaga. And to me, Gonzaga is always going to play in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, you have, you have to get into the 70s. UCLA is a 50s and 60s mm-hmm. team. You have to get to the 70s. Gonzaga scored 82 and 84 in its first four, uh, two games, of course, over Grand Canyon and then the win uh, over TCU. The Arkansas UConn game. That's that's another interesting one. You know, it's a four versus an eight. Beat them. But you know, Arkansas. It feels like Arkansas won its national championship. Yeah, it feels like they got their win when they toppled Kansas, and so it's hard to kind of bounce. And back. I love the reaction. Did you? I, I don't know if you <laughs> saw it at the Muslim Davis kid. Was was breaking down in tears. Was very emotional. Uh, has gone through apparently some personal things. Challenged by his coach, this guy who averaged 10 points a game during the season, scored 25 the other day. He was the best player on the floor, especially in the second half. And then when he fouled out, the best player on the team took over, Council, and got to the foul line and made every free throw. Kansas had two one-on-ones with Jalen Wilson at the line. He misses the front end. And then Kevin McCullough on the line, two of their most reliable foul shooters, maybe their two best foul shooters, certainly under pressure, and he misses too. Did you like uh, Eric Musselman's reaction? <laughs> I, I can do without uh, the, the uh, coach uh, taking the shirt off rather than uh, you know shaking hands with, uh, yeah, with the opposite. I, I can do without that. that. Like, but I, he's a hell of a coach, yeah. and he's a better coach. Charles Barkley talked about this the other day, and Charles Barkley was a bigger Bill Musselman fan um, Eric Musselman's father uh, than than I was, but even Charles Barkley 
suggested that uh, Eric Musselman, as a game coach, is up there with the best in college basketball. And I don't know that he quite said it, but I would. I think Eric Musselman is a better coach than his father was. Hmm. That's, and, that's a, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's obviously got an opportunity to kind of prove that. But it did feel like that was, it was the coach's reaction. It was the player's reaction. It, it felt to me like, no, the play, that the was players, their national title. They, their players were great. That's and as good. But I mean, if, if it they just played feels a like flawless second for, half. for Arkansas, it feels like we did what we set out yeah. to do. And, and I think that's probably a problem you for know, the next J- round. Jay Bella said UConn's the best team left in the tournament. I agree with him on that. They've certainly been the best looking team so far in the tournament, offensively and defensively. Uh, beat Iona by 24, beat St. Mary's by 15. Never really challenged uh, in either game. Uh, they're hot at the right time. Um, I, I just think it's going to be UConn and the Gonzaga UCLA game is really a toss up. It, it depends on which style prevails. If the game is played in the fifties and sixties, UCLA wins. If the game is played in the seventies and eighties, Gonzaga. I wins think that's a very simple way of putting it. I agree. So you look at the remaining two scenes, Alabama and Houston. Do either of them go to the final four? I think Bama does. Houston's road is tougher. That's what, you know, they have the number five seed in Miami, and then they're going to have to play either the number two or number three, uh, Xavier or Texas. Jim Laranaga, the Miami coach, to me is more dangerous than the Miami team because that's another older coach, and the players just worship him. He's kind of the Wade Phillips of uh, the Wade Phillips that we remember from 2015. Jim Laranaga is is that way with his players uh, in Miami. And uh, uh, they came on strong and blew out Indiana after a tougher than it should have been first round game with Drake, uh, where they scratched out a seven point win, but Drake had them by the you know what. Yeah, but they smoked uh, Indiana. But they killed Indiana. And uh, Houston uh, was down ten, and I I I don't mind Bruce Pearl. I really don't. But he talked at halftime. They you know his team was ahead, so they talked to him at halftime. And he acted like the game was over. And Houston came back and beat him by 17. That has they're been 10 down at the half. If there's by one 17. Thing that this tournament has been marked by, it is teams having a fast start and not being able to hold it. Or we've seen a couple of opportunities for upsets go by the wayside when you have a team. Uh, and, and you saw it in the, uh, you saw it in that Houston Auburn. Auburn had a chance to really cash in and put the pedal to the metal with them. Uh, we saw it with Alabama and Maryland. Houston's Mar- good. Maryland Houston's looked like good. they had a chance to maybe put Alabama away early. They couldn't quite do it. They had like a, a string where they you know, they missed nine consecutive shots. They left the door open, and in the second half, Alabama just blew their doors off. So we've seen that a few times, too. You just don't have an opportunity. To, you, when you have somebody down and you don't finish them off in this tournament, you pay for it. It seems like the two ones, UConn, Gonzaga, maybe UCLA. Are, are the five best teams left in the tournament. But uh, not all will get to the final four, obviously, or, or even any four of those. Uh, uh, I uh, uh, All four of those teams, the top four anyway. Uh, it's it, Gonzaga plays UCLA. So only one of them can make, uh, make it to the final four. Alabama might make it. I think Houston will make it. But uh, after that... It has been a a remarkable tournament. It'll continue to go on later this week. Fun talking with you on a Monday. It's going to be a tremendous week 
of sports. We're looking forward to sharing it all with you. Every team, every day is what we do right here on this show. It's what we do in Mile High Sports. And up next, our friends in Afternoon Drive, Anila Pilo and Cordy Rourke. Thanks to Danny and Andrew in the booth. Thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you tomorrow right here. For Sandy, I'm Sean. This is Mile High Sports.